Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. Today, we have another installment in the series on historic church liturgy. We've covered things like prayer, music, and scripture reading. Today, a sermon on the gift of preaching. According to John, preaching has gone through several significant cycles throughout history, and we're going to learn more about that. But at the end of the day, proclaiming God's word through preaching is one of the primary means of grace for God's gathered guests. Let's dive now into this message called The Gift of Preaching the Word. Here's John with part two. Back to Second Timothy and the liturgy. Uh, historically, what we've seen is that the order of public worship has been divided into two major parts. You have the first part, the service of the word, and you have the second part, the service of the sacrament. Those two major parts of the service emphasize to believers the means by which the Holy Spirit uses to give to people Christ and all of his saving benefits, which is what we want, right? And so the service of the word and the service of the sacrament have the same function. It is to proclaim Christ. It is to give Christ. Um, Or as one author put it, the forms employed on the liturgy on Sunday morning are for the purpose of making space for Christ's presence to be manifest. And that's what we want, is it not? The manifestation of Christ among his people. And that's what we come to church for. And so this is an important point because what believers want is a real sense of being in God's presence. But you see, Christ has withdrawn himself from us physically by his ascension. And so physically, Christ is not present uh, with us on earth right now until he returns. So the question is, where is the place on earth now presently where Christ is present? Where is he present, not just present, but where is he present specifically in saving blessing and grace? Because people say, oh, I don't have to go to church. I just, you know, the proverbial, I'll go to the golf course. Or since we live at the beach, I'll just go to the beach and enjoy God there. Well, God is there. But God is not promised to be there savingly and blessing through those means, right? The question is, how is he present with us in saving power and blessing? And so in short, the two major parts of the liturgy, the service of the word and the service of the sacrament, answers these questions for us. And so this brings us to the 10th part of the liturgy that we're looking at, and that is preaching. But as you look at the scriptures, it's clear from the scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that not only the reading of God's word in public worship is commanded as a vital element in worship, but the preaching of God's word occupies a central place in the public worship of the church. Um, In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I uh, had you turn to that. Paul issues a solemn charge to Timothy. He says, I charge you, listen to this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in kingdom, preach the word. Paul reminds Timothy that his preaching ministry is carried out under the gaze of God and of Christ. It's not those around you, whether it's opponents or faithful believers. It's the presence of God that you're preaching in the presence of as he gazes upon that. Christ will return, Paul says, his appearing, and his kingdom will come 
And that is the ultimate reality with which Timothy should be concerned of and mindful of and occupied with carrying out his ministry and calling to preach the word to the church. I'm going to tell you, I think about this all the time. Every time I get up here every Sunday, it's like, wow, what a calling. And so preaching of God's word is an indispensable and central element of Christian worship. It is preach the word. It is a command. It is not an option. In fact, John Stott, the great Anglican uh, pastor, he was the um, chaplain for the queen and, you know, obviously a great evangelical statesman, one of my favorites. Um, He says this, he says, preaching is not only indispensable to worship, preaching is indispensable to Christianity. Um, Christian preaching receded from public worship during the Dark Ages But the 16th century Reformation restored biblical preaching once again to a prominent place in the regular worship of the church. I just want to give you a little snapshot so you can see what happened. People uh, were eager to learn, and they eagerly sat under the pulpits of preachers who could expound to them the Holy Scriptures in the Reformation. Now, at first, they didn't really get quite get what was going on, but then they began to catch on, and Uh, Martin Luther said this, he says that no gathering of worshipers should omit a sermon. Um, And so Luther was a great preacher. Uh, John Calvin uh, considered preaching essential, and so essential did he consider preaching that Genevans in the city of Geneva in the Reformation referred to the Reformed Church in Geneva, they referred to their service as a whole as, quote, the sermon. Now, when John Calvin preached his sermons, he would be sweared at, he would have his life threatened, people attempted to murder him while he was preaching, they would have fistfights in the congregation as he was preaching. It was quite a turmoil time in the Reformation. It wasn't easy to preach God's word back then. Uh, Calvin considered his expositions of the scriptures more vital than his institutes. In fact, Calvin was known as, as an expository preacher. One of the times when he was exiled from Geneva and then allowed to return, he went back to his church, walked up into his pulpit, opened up his Bible, and began preaching again precisely where he had left off, where he had been the, the Sunday he had been driven out of his own church. Uh, he preached no fewer than 4,000 sermons on the Bible. But taken as a whole, his life's work was to preach through the whole Bible, and what a life's work that was, and he almost accomplished it. So these, these, these reformers, the point is, were committed to the authority and, and teaching and truth of God's word. And so from a Reformation perspective, the, the sermon is never an option in a divine service. So I'm going to give to you 10 points about why preaching is an essential element in the corporate worship or the liturgy of God's church, why um, it is necessary and the dignity of it that comes with the preaching office and this means of grace. And so that's what I want to show you. So here's the first one uh, today. Preaching is the chief means of grace. Um, preaching, writes an old uh, Anglican Puritan, preaching is one great and noble part of the pastoral ministry. Second, 
And this is very important. I want you to turn to Titus chapter 1. And what we see here is that preaching of the gospel is a manifestation of Christ. Listen to Paul in Titus chapter 1. He says, beginning verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Now that is powerful. Paul teaches that God promises. He makes promises. God is a promise-making, a promise-keeping God. And Paul says that God does not and that he cannot lie, but that he fulfills his promises. And so the trustworthiness and faithfulness of God instills hope in God's people. But here's the issue. It would be of no benefit if God makes promises but does not manifest or make known those promises, right? And so Paul, therefore, writes, listen, God, at the proper time, manifested the hope of eternal life in his word through the preaching. Third, preaching was central to Jesus's and the apostles' ministries. Preaching. Concerning Jesus' earthly ministry, Mark in his gospel writes this in Mark 1.14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. In Mark chapter 1, verses 38 and 39, Jesus says to his disciples, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And so he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues. He was sent to preach. Jesus wanted his disciples to be with him so he could train them for their apostleship. And that prioritized preaching in their ministry. In Mark chapter 3 verse 14, Mark says that Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. And so with this Christ-directed training, it's no surprise to find that the first century church dedicated itself to preaching. You see this in the book of Acts. All throughout the book of Acts, you see Christ-centered proclamation of the gospel, which was a central activity of the church. Fourth, preaching is the Holy Spirit's instrument for faith. Preaching is the Holy Spirit's instrument for faith. Ordinarily, there are always extraordinary circumstances, but ordinarily, sinners must hear the gospel to have faith in Christ, right? And then they have to continue to hear the gospel so that they can continue to grow in godliness. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
That's a very technical term, which means the gospel. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ, hearing the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Do you see that? The foolishness of the gospel, the folly of the method preaching is how God has chosen to save those who believe. It's the means and the message taken together that the Holy Spirit uses. And so, as God's gathered guests, right, that's what we are, God's gathered guests, the gift giver comes to us each Sunday on the Lord's Day in gathered worship, and we gather together to hear God's word both read and preached to us. These are God's methods to save us. And so the preaching office could not be more splendidly adorned than when Christ says this. He says, he who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me. Through the pure preaching of the gospel, God's people hear the voice of Christ himself through the voice of the preacher. That's what Paul says in Romans 10. Preaching, Michael Horton says, preaching normed by scripture is the speech of a king through the mouth of his herald and is meant to be received as God's own address. That's right. Jesus said, he is the good shepherd and he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Something is happening on Sunday that is not ordinary but it happens through an ordinary means of speaking. Something is quite extraordinary that happens in the church of worship on Sunday morning. God is speaking to you through your sometimes dull, sometimes not very funny, very ordinary, weak human pastor. And it has been the conviction of Christians throughout church history that God himself addresses us through the reading and especially the preaching of the word of God. And so when your pastor is telling you what the Bible says, Jesus Christ himself is being offered to you with all of his saving benefits. And therefore, we are to embrace Jesus by faith alone and seek in him the primary place where he has promised us to be found. And so, a rightly ordered liturgy will seek to expose God's people, listen, to the maximum of God's voice, not the minimum. Not the minimum. Fifth and finally for this week, preaching is necessary for growth in godliness. It's necessary for growth in godliness. Paul says this in Titus chapter one, verse one. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect. And look, in their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. And you listen very carefully to this. The same gospel that initially called us to faith 
is the same means that perfects us in that faith. Did you hear that? The same gospel that initially calls us to faith is the same means that perfects us in that faith. The Apostle Paul says that when we get the knowledge of the truth, it accords with godliness. Christians need to continually hear the gospel in order to grow in godliness. John 17, 17, as Jesus prays his high priestly prayer, he prays this, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Truth sanctifies us. Truth, the truth, the knowledge of the truth, as you grow deeper in your knowledge of the truth of the gospel, it produces godliness. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul continues this out, and he, what he says in chapter 1 here, he just develops in chapter 2. And he says in chapter 2, that the grace of God, verse 11, that has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, that is all types of people that he's talking about in this context, whether it be young men, old men, old women, young women, workers, whoever it is, it is, it is for all people. This grace of God, look at verse 12, is continually training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what the gospel teaches us. The gospel continually pressed into the heart and lives of God's people in the church, Paul says, is continually training us, it says, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And look, he says, and to live self-controlled. Do you know where that self-controlled comes from? It comes from what he's already commanded in chapter uh, 2, verses 2, verses 5 and 6. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. He says, the older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, look, self-controlled. Look at verse 5. He says that these young women are to be self-controlled. Look at verse 6. He says, young men in the church are to be self-controlled. Those are the commandments. Those are the imperatives. Those are the imperatives of godliness. You, you don't have a choice. These are not options. You must be self-controlled. So, Paul, how do I develop self-control? How, how do I become self-controlled? He tells you right here in verses 12 and 13. The grace of God continually trains you, look at this, to live self-controlled. He's showing you this. Listen carefully. The preaching of God's law is necessary, but it accomplishes different things. God's law in verses 2, 5, and 6 tell you how you're to live with self-control. But it doesn't enable you to do that. It doesn't create that. It doesn't accomplish that. The preaching of the law helps us to learn that we're to be self-controlled, the preaching of the law tells me that I need to have self-control, but it doesn't give it to me. 
and it doesn't enable me. It doesn't create self-control. So how do I have self-control? Paul is telling you that the gospel gives what the law demands. And so he says the grace of God, listen, has appeared continually training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. So how do I have self-control? You have to have the grace of God continually, week after week, year after year, over a lifetime, preached into you deeply week after week. That's how. Some people say, learn to preach the gospel to yourself. That's absolutely true. You need to learn to do that. But here's one problem with that. We don't do that very well, right? We're not all gifted to be good preachers. And so what we have been given in the church is someone gifted by God, sent by God, ordained by the church, right? Sent by the church to preach the gospel to us better than we can do it to ourselves, And so that's why growth in godliness is so important to attend to the preaching of God's word because it is through the preaching of the grace of God that enables and equips us to have what the law demands. And so preaching is necessary for growth in godliness. And this is why a church must continually proclaim the gospels to believers so that believers are moving on in the knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. You see that? And so as we reflect this morning on the centrality of preaching as an element in public worship, what have we seen? Preaching of God's word is the chief means of grace. It is a manifestation of Christ. Christ is present with his people in it. It, is, it was central to Jesus's and the apostles' ministries. It was central to the early church. It is God's instrument through the Holy Spirit to cause faith and to nurture faith. And it is necessary to grow in godliness. Those are quite important reasons, aren't they? And so as we conclude this morning, I'm going to offer one productive way to listen to a sermon, okay? So if, if, if you've ever been told at Paramount, we don't get any practical tips, well, here is one this morning for you. And it's just, it is, it is buried in grace, <laughs> right? So one productive way to listen to a sermon, here's how you do it. Listen prayerfully. That's it. How do you do that? Well, pray for your pastor. Okay, so I'm asking for a prayer request. Pray for your pastor as he prepares each week. And pray for your pastor as he preaches, because it's hard. Pray that your pastor would be faithful to the text and tell you what it means. And above all, pray that your pastor would preach Jesus Christ from every portion of the Bible, whether it's from Leviticus or Revelation or wherever, it's Jesus. And if your pastor isn't preaching Jesus from every page, find a church, another church. Then pray for yourself. Pray for the whole congregation and pray for the visitors. Pray that everyone who is present would be savingly impacted and affected through the word by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Pray that that would happen every Sunday. And then pray that everybody who has gathered would believe in, hope in, trust in, receive and rest in Jesus alone. Pray that every week. So let's pray. And so, Father, we thank you that you have given to us your word, which is to be preached in the church. We reflect on the fact that you have given to us this solemn charge that we preach before your gaze. This is your church, these are your sheep, and this is your word. And so help us to always be faithful to preach your word correctly with Jesus being the point, showing people from Scripture Jesus on every page. And so be gracious to us and help us and help us to always value the preaching ministry of your word in this church, the chief means of grace. What a gift from the gift giver. We thank you for this. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. That's a message called The Gift of Preaching the Word, Part 2. We'll hear Part 3 of this message next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.